Well, hey, good morning, Bridge family. We are so glad that you're in church with us this morning. And as Pastor Gary said, man, it is good to be in the house today. The presence of God is here. You are here. We are here. It's a good day. Nothing, no better place to be on a Sunday morning than with our church family together. And hey, if you're here for the very first time at the bridge, we just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to be able to just have you and host you in the house today. And we hope that you feel at home, that you meet some of the great people that call the bridge home. If you got kids, we hope that they have a great time at Bridge Kids this morning. We're excited about baptisms coming up later on. So it's going to be a good day. And you know, if you want to find out more about how you can make the bridge your home church, how you can get involved, just kind of find home and family here at the bridge, we want to help you with that. Next Sunday, first Sunday of every month, we have what we call Connecting Point. And it happens during this service, during the 1130 service. So this is the service to come to. If you want to join us at Connecting Point next week, we'll have Bridge Kids program during service. If you've got kiddos and we want to take care of them, make sure that they have a good time as well. But we would just love to meet you, help you find your place here in the church family because it's so, so good to have you in the house today. And we're very excited that you are here. So if you're a regular at the bridge, would you just join me and welcome all of our guests this morning? So good to have you. And if you'd like to register for Connecting Point, just go to our website, thebridgechurch.tv, or you can go to the Bridge app, which you can download. If you don't have the Bridge app, man, it's one of the best ways to stay up to date with what's going on, but just go to your app store on your phone and search the Bridge Church, Marietta, and you'll get a link right there that'll help you download our app. So go to the Connect tab on our website or on the app, and you can register for Connecting Point right there, because we would love to help get to know you. And um, this week, we're continuing a series called Legacies over legends. Legacies over legends. And we're talking about how God wants to build a legacy of faith in and through our lives. And legacies over legends, when we look at those two different words, they have two different meanings. And we talked about this last week, and I'll give you a little bit of background with where we're going. But a legacy is anything that is handed down from one generation and received by the next so that each successive generation can give a testimony of what they have received from the previous generation. But not just a testimony of what they've received, a a testimony of a shared experience about that which was given to them. So God wants us as believers, as Christians, to be legacy-minded where we meet with God, we encounter God, we walk with God, and then we take that relationship and we hand it down to the next generation so that they can have an experience with God for themselves. God wants us to be legacy-minded, not legend-minded. You see, a legend is an unverifiable or a non-historical event that took place somewhere in the past, but nobody can verify its authenticity because they were not there to experience it for themselves. When we look at the Old Testament, we see in the place that we're going today, which is Judges chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there with me, In Judges chapter 6, we see that Israel has found itself in a bad spot because of their disobedience and their rebellion toward God. And the things of God, the knowledge of God, the truth of God has been treated as the stuff of legends rather than the things of legacy handed down from one generation to the next. So what we see is that they're essentially captives in their own land. The Midianites are inhabiting their land and oppressing the Israelites, and they're kind of like slaves in their own land. And it's during this time that they cry out to God and say, God, have you abandoned us? Where are you? Don't you see our oppression? And God sends a prophet to them and says, the reason you found yourself in the spot you're in is because of generational disobedience and generational rebellion when it comes to the things of God, or more specifically, the law of God. So they cry out, and God sends this prophet, and that really informs them, hey, perhaps we need to turn our hearts. But then one day what happens is God sends a messenger, an angel of the Lord, to a man named Gideon. 
And in Judges 6, we see the story of Gideon, who's really one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And in looking at the story of Gideon, he has this encounter with the angel, but the conversation is so interesting because the angel of the Lord shows up and he calls Gideon a mighty, valiant warrior. And Gideon's like, me? I am a mighty, valiant warrior? Because Gideon didn't know his identity in God. More on that in a little bit. But over time, the conversation begins to change, and the angel of the Lord turns into the Lord himself, and we know this theological term as a theophany takes place, where Gideon has an encounter with God himself, or more specifically, most likely, with Jesus himself. And so it's in this moment that this encounter with God takes place, and Gideon has this idea communicated to him that God wants to use him to free his people from the oppression of the Midianites. So now Gideon knows my life has purpose and God wants to do something. And it's right there that we pick up the story after Gideon has this encounter with the angel of the Lord, or more specifically, with the Lord himself. So let's read on this morning and talk about what it means to build a legacy rather than leave a legend behind us. Judges chapter 6, let's start reading in verse 17. So Gideon said to him, capital H him, he's talking back to the Lord himself, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. Let me know that this is really you, God, that I'm talking to. Show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. So essentially, he wants to make sure this is really a divine encounter. I'm going to run over here and I'm going to get an offering to bring back. And if you're still here when I return with my offering, then I will know I have had a divine encounter with God. Look at verse 19. Then Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. And the angel, of, excuse me, the angel of God in verse 20 said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth onto the rock. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff, or like the shepherd's staff or a, a walking stick. He put out the end of the staff and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And this is a picture of God accepting this offering that Gideon is bringing. And then finally it says, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So in other words, Gideon is actually saying here, now I know I've had an encounter with God. If you go on and read this more specifically, what Gideon really says is he says, I have seen the Lord face to face and I did not die. And what's cool about that is it's as if Gideon's saying, my ideas of who I thought God were were different because now God has come to me, being in his presence and seeing him up this close, I did not die. In fact, what I found was that God is gracious, God is loving, God is kind, and God is merciful. A lot of times we can have preconceived ideas about who God is, but how many people have a similar testimony to me that when I had an encounter with God, I learned that God wasn't anything like what some people made him out to be. He's gracious, he's loving, he's merciful, and he's kind, and he wants to be in relationship with his people. Amen? Amen. But with that said, I want to give you just a few thoughts and talking points, because we're talking about building legacies rather than leaving legends. So from this picture, you know, Gideon needs to know, is this really God? Is this really the angel of the Lord that I'm having an encounter with? And here's the first thought I want to give you this morning if you're taking notes, okay? Number one, talking about legacies over legends. Number one, 
A divine encounter will change your perspective and give you purpose. A divine encounter will change your perspective of who God is and it will reveal that God has a purpose for your life. Now, purpose is one of these words that we've focused in on a lot over the last you know, two plus decades in the church world. And that's a good thing because the people of God need to know that once we enter into relationship with God, he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. But make no mistake about it, salvation is the first step to being in this relationship with God. And the main reason that we, that we really need to, or the main thing we need to focus on when it comes to the work of the cross and what Jesus did for us isn't just purpose, it's first and foremost forgiveness and redemption. Okay, so that's the key thing, that's the main thing. But once we've experienced that, we start to understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we talked about this last week, but at this point in the story in Judges 6, what we see is that Gideon never knew his identity as a child of God. I mean, think about that for a moment. You live in the nation of Israel. These are the chosen people of God, yet you personally don't even know what your true identity is in God. And when Gideon has this encounter with the angel, it's like news to him that God could have a plan and a purpose for his individual life. See, he had always heard that the Israelites were God's people, but he never knew that God didn't just care about the Israelites. God cared about Gideon. And so when we talk about being God's people, one thing that's really important to understand is that, yes, God loves us, but you know what? God loves you. Jesus died for us, but individually, Jesus died for you. And while God wants to be our God, just as much on a personal level, God wants to be your God and my God, walking in personal relationship with us day after day. And Gideon has this new revelation that nobody's ever pointed out to him before. See, there's a big difference between knowing that God cares about us and realizing that God cares about me. And it's in this moment that Gideon realizes his life is significant. His life is significant. See, salvation, again, is step one for all of us who call ourselves Christians or believers. But after entering this relationship with God, he wants to show us that not only are we forgiven and not only are we redeemed, but we now have a part in his kingdom plan. And the reason why this grabs me from this passage of scripture is because Gideon's probably sitting there thinking to himself, God, this is a nation of millions of people and you're coming to me saying that I am gonna defeat Midian as one man? You're telling me that my life has that kind of significance? I think a lot of us struggle with that as Christians. We, we think about the idea that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves and that's true, but sometimes we, over, or we devalue the reality that God has an individual plan for our lives. And if nobody ever told you this today, you're not just a part of the big church, capital C, Church of Jesus Christ, but God has a wonderful plan of significance for your individual life. And after having that encounter with him at salvation, he wants to walk you into that and change your perspective and walk you into his purposes. I want to tell you a story real quick about significance, and I think that this is like a helpful story. Uh, probably 20 plus years ago now, for those of you that don't know, Pastor Gary is my dad, he's my father. And 20 plus years ago, when my dad was not in full-time pastoral ministry, for a season, he was doing missions work. And I remember my dad telling me, he said, I'm going to be going into Africa, going to East Africa. And I said, wow. And he says, yeah, I'm going to be doing some missions work there. And to be honest with you, I was kind of not walking with God in that season of my life. Not kind of. I was not walking with God in that season of my life. And I think he told me I'm going to be doing these missions projects. He probably gave me all of the details, and it kind of went in one ear and out the other. I just knew Dad's doing some things in Africa. 
What I now know years down the road is that he was actually working, taking a curriculum that teaches and trains pastors how to step into ministry and taking it into to other nations and helping it be translated into their native language so that those local people groups can be raised up and step into ministry in their local churches. And he did that for a few years in Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, and in the Congo. And so they were taking that curriculum over there, and there were pastors that were raised up. Well, you know, when you step out into the mission field, and I've had the privilege of getting to do some missions work over the last several years, you plant a lot of seeds that you don't know if you'll ever see the fruit of. And so I'll never forget, I have a cousin who is a pastor in another part of the country, and a few years ago, he began an organization where they were going to go overseas and dig uh, clean water wells in various nations. And when they started this partnership and this organization, he had plans to go to Rwanda and they found some partners at a local church there that they were going to be partnering with because they had to identify the right spot where this well could be stewarded, it would be cared for by that local church, and it could be a source of life near that local church in the community. So he found the perfect partners, he went over there and got to be a part of the digging and seeing that, that well come to fruition. And during that time, he spent time with a local pastor there in that village and was talking to them about stewarding that well. And as he got to know him, he asked the question, he said, just tell me about you. Tell me about your ministry, how you got into ministry, just your testimony and your background. And he told him his testimony of how, what God had done in his life and how God had called him to ministry. But he said, you know, I didn't know how to take my next steps and get into ministry. But then in my local church, there was this Bible school curriculum that was translated into my language. He said, and there was a man that came to our town called Gary Martin. Now, I know I'm bragging on my dad a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing. There are 13 million people in Rwanda. What are the odds that the same people that my dad visited 20 plus years ago would later be the same people that my cousin would go to and when they told the testimony of what God had done in their life, it all strung back and he said, wait, hold on, what was his name? He said, his name was Gary Martin. He said, that's my uncle. And when he connected those dots, I look back and I love that story for one reason because sometimes when we start to pursue God's purpose for our life, it can seem small and insignificant. But simple and small steps of obedience can be incredibly significant. And right now, you might not know the end of the story with the steps of obedience that you're taking. But one day, there are testimonies that will lie on the other side of that obedience. And if you are in a season of life right now where you feel like your obedience to God seems small and potentially maybe insignificant please know that if you will continue on that path of obedience, one day God is going to bring about a testimony that will reveal to you just how significant his plans and purposes are for your life. Your life is significant. Your life has meaning. And if I get to be kind of like that angel of the Lord to get to tell you for the first time like Gideon, I want to say, and I hope you hear it, not just with the ears but with your heart, God has a significant plan and purpose for your individual life. And he wants you to play a role in his kingdom purposes. Man, I love that story. See, God wants to bring us into a relationship with him through salvation, but after salvation and after that encounter, he wants to reveal his purposes for us. So watch this. Now that Gideon knows that his life is significant, I'm not just one of millions, I'm one person with one significant purpose, and only I can do what God has called me to do. Now that Gideon knows his life is significant, he has purpose, he is ready to pursue God's plan. Now, the very next thing you think would happen is that Gideon's going to go raise up an army and we're going to go fight these Midianites. But that's not what happens. Because 
before Gideon can pursue his purpose, God has something else he needs Gideon to do. Look at verse 25. Now, on the same night, the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah and that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of the stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Now, again, Baal and Asherah, these speak of false gods that existed there in, right in Gideon's own neighborhood, on his father's own property, these shrines and altars to false gods. Verse 27, then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it in the day, Gideon went and he did it at night. So Gideon didn't want to be seen for what God had asked him to do, but he steps out obediently and he goes and he tears down this altar built to the false god Baal and he tears down this shrine. Most likely from Old Testament study, we would see that this would be an Asherah pole. It's like a, a big wooden figure that was built to honor this false goddess Asherah. He went and he tore these things down, but he didn't just tear them down. Scripture says that he took the wood of the Asherah pole and he used that wood as firewood or kindling for the altar, an offering that he would then give to God. So he tears all of this stuff down. And here's the point I want to make to you. What is happening here is this is God reestablishing his order in Gideon's life and in the nation of Israel. This is a picture of God reestablishing his order among his people. You say, well, what does that mean, Zach? Follow me for a moment to Exodus chapter 20. I referenced this verse of scripture last week. And what we see later on in this passage of scripture, there's a promise that God makes. It says, I am faithful, or God is faithful to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The word commandments is important because Exodus 20 is where we get the 10 commandments, okay? Now, follow me for a moment because look what happens. Of all these 10 commandments, maybe you have them memorized, maybe you know them in order. What is the first one that God gives? Exodus 20 Verse two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, representing bondage and slavery, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. This is important to understand because when God gave these Ten Commandments to his people, to the nation of Israel, before he said, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not commit adultery, before he said any of those things, he said, no, 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 hold on. Rule number one, if I'm going to be my, your God and you're going to be my people, we got to get one th thing straight. If you want the blessing of God on your life, you shall have no other lowercase g gods before me. This was the very first commandment that God gave the Israelites. I want to say this very gently and respectfully to everybody in the house today. I know that we live in a, a day and age where there's a lot of churches and a lot of places that would just as much dismiss some of the things that are in the Old Testament and say, well, Zach, don't you realize that we're living under the New Covenant and these are New Testament times? Yeah, I get that and I understand that. But we're not talking about the Levitical law here. What we're talking about is God giving Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel that established morality in the sight of God. And before it was about action, it was about who God was in their life. He says, I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. You want my blessing? Then you have to clean house of all these other gods. 
Now, it's really important that we understand this in our lives. So if you're taking notes, here's the second thought I want to give you, okay? Number two, before we can walk in God's purposes, we will be required to kick out his competition. Before we can walk in God's purposes, we will be required to kick out his competition. And maybe the way that's phrased brings some questions to your mind. Let me say it this way. God's purposes and my idols cannot coexist. God's purposes and my idols cannot coexist. Now, let me just touch on this really quickly. I know that I said competition. Some of you might have heard that and think, Zach, are you saying that these false gods could compete with God? Oh, no. How many of you believe that Baal and Asherah, that these two false gods or goddesses, actually could hold a candle to the power of the one true living God? I don't believe that at all. But I'll tell you something. We give time and we give attention to all kinds of things and we allow them to compete with God in our lives. And that's exactly what had happened in Gideon's day. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But now let's read further and see how all this goes over with Gideon's neighbors. Gideon just tore down the, the altar to Baal, the Asherah poles. He's tearing down all these idols as an act of obedience to God. And look what happens next. Verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah which was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. They said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, he did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, now just picture this for a moment. Joash, Gideon's father, is inside his house. Maybe he doesn't know about what happened to what his son did overnight last night. But pretty soon, the men of the city come knocking on Joash's door. Hey, Joash, you got to come see this. Look what happened. That altar that you built to Baal, all of those poles in honor of Asherah, look what happened. Somebody tore them down. Who did it? Well, we don't know for sure, but most of the men of the city think it was your son, Joash. They think that it was Gideon. So that's why we are here at your door. Look at verse 30. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out Gideon that he may die. For he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. Let me give you a few brief observations from this real quick. Because we see this picture of God looking at Gideon and saying, if you want to walk in my plans and my purposes and expect my blessing, you're going to have to clean house of all these idols in your life. Let's, let's just zoom out on this picture for a minute. Gideon goes and does what God's asked him to do, and the neighborhood does not like it. Now, as a 21st century American Christian, I've been raised in church, I read these stories and sometimes what we do with Bible stories is we take them and we put them only in historical context. And when we do that, sometimes we enable ourselves to think of ourselves as being a little bit better than these Old Testament Israelites. Because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, hold on, you're the people of God. You could have the blessing of God upon your life. Everything you will ever need is available to you from God, yet you have erected and built all of these idols in your life, in your neighborhood, on your street, in your homes, and on your property. What a bunch of foolish Israelites these people are. We zoom out because we know who God is, and we read this from a historical perspective, but at the end of the day, I think I would be wrong to point the finger at these Israelites, and I'll tell you why. Because we do this all the time. 
We believe as Christians, hey, the blessing of God is available to me. And God wants to bless my life. He wants to reveal his purpose to me in and through my life. And I know that everything I'll ever need is available to me because of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And so therefore, I receive the blessing of God. And God's like, that's awesome. I want you to walk in my purposes. But first, I need you to clean house. And we're like, wait, hold on a minute, God. The word here is idolatry. It's not a good word. It speaks of the idols that we allow into our lives. And, man, we could spend a lot of time here, but I think it's important that we don't think of ourselves any higher than the Israelites here because the truth is, if we're all being honest with ourselves, sometimes we, from, from time to time, we can allow things into our life that can become idols to us and give God less space to work in our lives. I'll smile and say that because I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying that about me, too. I'll tell you what, there has never been a time in history where it was easier to have idolatry surrounding your life than it is in 21st century America. It's right, my phone's down there, but it's in my hand all the time. It can consume your time, it can consume your wallet, it can consume your bank account, it can consume your affection. Idolatry surrounds us, and we should never look at somebody else and say, wow, what a mistake they made, because it's very easy that can happen to us as well. And I would even say, the Christian church in 21st century America we have gotten comfortable living with a good amount of idols in our lives. And maybe that's why we're asking God all the time to help continue to walk us into his purpose. He's like, if you'll clean house, I'll walk you into your purpose. But man, we can sometimes get comfortable with those idols in our lives. But again, let's talk about those idols for a moment. Who, who were these idols? You know, again, scripture talks about Baal and Asherah, or Asherah. These were Canaanite gods or goddesses They were not brought into existence by the Israelites. In other words, they existed when the Canaanite people who already lived in that land were there. They worshiped those false gods. And when the Israelites came in and took this land that God gave them, they took these gods, these false gods, on into their own possession, and they became their gods. Doesn't that sound a lot like us today sometimes? We take on the gods of the world around us and sometimes we'll say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, Jesus is my savior, but my goodness, we get comfortable with the idols we've inserted into our life. And where do we get them? We took them in from the world around us. And sometimes that's because we're uncomfortable being different from the world around us. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, God's called you to live a different life than the world in which you live. And sometimes... Following Jesus might mean being uncomfortable in the world around us. We're called out. We're called to be different. So we have to be willing to walk differently as well. Now, let me throw this one at you also. If I were to ask you, who is God's enemy? I think when we look through Scripture, the best case we could give here is that the devil, Satan, is the greatest enemy of God. And that's not because he's victorious in any way. He's a defeated foe because of what Jesus did for us. But here's the point. I think about these false gods that the Israelites were making room for and worshiping in their life. And I think to myself, man, could Baal compete with the one true living God? No. He had no chance because he wasn't a real God. Could Asherah compete with the one true living God? No. She had no chance. But what it brings me back to is simply this. I don't believe that they were the true enemies of the one true living God. I believe that Satan is the one true enemy of the one true living God. And he will use anything and everything that he can to take your eyes and your focus off of God. And so he will allow us, or he will often tempt us, to put our focus on things that don't even compare to God, but yet we give them space to compete with God. 
Think about that thing in your life right now that might be an idol for you. Is it good enough to take the place of God in your life? Of course not. But sometimes we get so comfortable with these things that we don't want to kick them out. God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, if you want to step into my purposes, you're going to have to clean house of these things that are taking up your time, that are taking up your money, that are taking up your focus and taking up your affection. You've got to get rid of those things if you want to discover the purpose that I have for your life and for your nation. And then last thought right here before we move to the last thing. From this portion right here, the thing that really blows me away, Gideon goes and he tears down these idols. He burns them to the ground and offers a sacrifice to God. This is the part that gets me. The neighborhood freaks out. And they all run to Gideon's dad, dad's house and they all come to the defense of their false gods. I had to focus on this for a while and figure out why this was happening and it really hit me again. The reason why these people in Gideon's neighborhood were so willing to come to the defense of their false gods was because those false gods gave them a false sense of security and of comfort and blessing and prosperity and safety, so they built them up because they could see them with their own eyes rather than trusting that God would give all those things to them. And when they come to the defense of their false gods, it's amazing because it reminds me of how quickly we are to say, if God looked at us and said, I want you to clean house of these things that are taking up space in your life, like, oh, but God, they give me such a sense of safety and comfort and security and blessing and prosperity, and God's like, I wanna be the one who gives you all of those things. And if you'll clean house of all that stuff, let me walk you into all that because that's what I have for your life. That's what I have for your future. That's the plan that I have for you. Again, God has great plans for our lives, but before we can enter into them, he wants to bring order to our lives according to his word. So Gideon obediently tears down these idols to bring order in his town and in his family. Now watch this. This is the last portion we're gonna go to today. Verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against Gideon, will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he, Baal, is a god, let Baal contend for himself because someone has torn down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he named him, he named him Jeroboam. That is to say that Baal, let Baal contend against himself because he had torn down his altar. Now, Gideon's dad comes to his defense here when the people of his town, his, his community come knocking on the door saying, look what your son did. You know, we don't know a lot about Joash here in the Old Testament. We don't know if he was a godly man. When we see the idols in his life, most likely he hadn't given any kind of legacy about the things of God to his son or to his family. But he clearly was an influential man in his town because his household had many servants and he had much livestock. So we know that. And while we don't believe Joash to be a godly man, when the people of his town wanted to come and kill his son, he makes one very wise observation. Joash looks at all these people who were knocking on his door, all of his neighbors, and he says, if Baal is a god, then let Baal defend himself. Why are you coming after my son? If Baal's truly a god who all of you want to worship, who all of you want to defend, if you truly believe that he is God, don't come after my son. Let Baal go after my son. Let Baal defend himself. What an amazing thought this is. You know, Joash is able to turn away the wrath of his neighbors toward Gideon, but he then goes one step further and he does something really interesting. Joash gives his son, Gideon, 
a new name. And scripture says that there he names Gideon Jeroboam. And so no longer does his father refer to him by the name that he gave him at birth. Now he calls him Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend for himself or let Baal defend himself. And the last thought I want to give you this morning, if you're taking notes, when we're talking about building legacies rather than leaving legends, here's the last thought. If we're going to walk in God's purposes, we must embrace God's new identity and let go of our old name. If we're going to walk in God's purposes, we've got to embrace God's identity, our new identity, and let go of our old name. In the Old Testament, we see there's places where God changes people's names. In fact, we see it in the New Testament as well, from Saul to Paul. We see Abram become Abraham. We see Jacob become Israel. But that's God changing their names. In this picture, what we see is that Joash, Gideon's dad, is the one who changes his name. Often in Scripture, when God would change somebody's names, he was doing it for all the right reasons. The name Abram meant exalted father. The name Abraham meant father of a multitude. It was like God was saying, Abram, I'm going to change your focus. It's no longer going to be about you. It's going to be about the thing I have for you. But in Gideon's case, his father changed his name, and it wasn't like his dad was doing it because he had his approval. Now look at this picture, and it reminds me that there are a lot of us, when we choose to follow Christ, we choose a path that feels really, really lonely. Because we look around and we say, man, before I was walking with God, I had this group of friends that were walking with me. I had all these family members that were walking with me. I had so much in common with my neighbors, my coworkers, the people that I did life with. But then we get on this new path and God starts to walk us into a new identity and it's like God gives us a new name and we look around and suddenly recognize that the people who I used to be walking with are nowhere to be found. I'll tell you what, just to be real, that can feel really lonely when you start your journey of faith. And I suspect that there are people in the room this morning that maybe you're newer in your faith and you stepped out because you, like Gideon, had an encounter with God where everything changed and you said, God's got a better plan for my life. I want to follow in his ways and stop walking in my own. But when you stepped out to do that, the initial thought you had or feeling you had was, wow, this is an incredibly lonely path. It's funny, by definition, the word church is the ecclesia, the called out of ones. We're called out of darkness and we're called into God's light. New Testament tells us that there's a work that God wants to do where we are being sanctified. It's called sanctification, where God is setting us apart all the days of our life from the world around us. And to a certain extent, if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, we're gonna walk a different path than the people of the world around us. Imagine here in this moment, suddenly Gideon's identity is now changed because his own father who probably questions his actions, looks at him and gives him a new name. He says, I'm not even gonna call you by the name I gave you at birth. I'm gonna call you by a different name because of the decision you have made. I stop and I put myself in Gideon's shoes and it makes me think about the person that's in the room today that feels lonely in your walk. You say, Zach, I feel like I'm doing this on my own. I feel like I'm doing it on my own strength. The thing that Gideon didn't know was after his father gives him a different name, and he becomes Jeroboam in the eyes of his father and in the eyes of his community, the thing he doesn't know is that God is about to surround him with hundreds of men who will go and fight with him for the freedom of his nation. And today, if you feel like you're walking out your faith alone, your Christianity alone, it might discourage you to the point that you're like, you know, what's the reason to come to church on Sundays? 
What's the, part, what, what's the point of being in a connect group? What's the point of trying to be involved in serving team or in a ministry here at the Bridge Church? Can I tell you something? We don't want people to be in connect groups for the sake of connect groups having more people. We want to do it because we meet way too many lonely Christians who are trying to do it on their own. See, Gideon didn't know that God was about to surround him with people, and maybe if you're feeling discouraged, you look at church and you look at community within the household of faith and you say, what's the point? Why do I even try? Why do they want me to be at church? Is it for them or is it for me? Sometimes you have to step out in faith and obedience, trusting that God, once you take those steps, will surround you with people who will fight forward with you into the purpose that he has for your life. And I don't want to say this in a judgmental or discouraging way whatsoever, but I know as pastors, sometimes we can get a bit of a reputation or a bad rap where it's all about, man, every time I go to church, they just tell me why I need to be there more, why I need to go to church more, do more, give more, serve more, do more, 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 more. I'll be honest with you, we don't want to have that reputation as a church. We really don't. But I think one of the reasons why sometimes people feel that way is because, let's be honest, there are a lot of us that walk lonely Christian paths because we're choosing not to invest our lives in the household of faith and be in a community of faith where we can be encouraged. And I want to encourage you, make a decision to be planted in the house of God because he wants to surround you with his people who will help you achieve your purpose. Because if we don't make that choice, then our kids don't know what it's like to have community in the household of faith, to have people that will stand with them when life gets real. I look at Gideon and I recognize that somewhere along the line, Somebody stopped telling the next generation about God and his goodness and they stopped having an experience with God for themselves. And it went from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And a few generations later, the things of God were the stuff of legends because nobody took the time to build a legacy behind them. I believe God wants us to put our foot down and say, it stops with me. And something new starts in my family. Something new starts in my lineage. We're going to build a legacy of the goodness and the greatness of God in our family. And it's going to start right here. It's going to start with me. Can we be those people? Can we be that church? Can we do what God has asked us to do? Amen. Let's do that together. Father, I thank you so much for your people, for your church. And I thank you that I get to be a part of it. God, I stand with my brothers and sisters in this room and we resolve, we make the choice, Father, that we're going to leave a legacy behind us, God. Once we've had that encounter with you, Father, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, and we're going to follow in it. God, we're going to push the idols and the false gods out of our life. We're not going to settle for the safety and false comfort that they bring us. We're going to look to you as our source for every good and perfect gift we will ever need. And Father, we're going to go forward and strengthen this identity that you have given us. We embrace your identity and your name for our lives and for our future. We embrace it, and we will give it to the next generation to build a legacy of your goodness in Jesus' name. With heads bowed for just one more moment. Maybe you're here today. You say, Zach, I don't know God. I've never been in a relationship with God. Nobody told me when I was growing up about God. I would love to be something like that messenger that came to Gideon and said, you don't have to live like this way. It doesn't have to look like this. God has a better plan for you and for your future, and he wants to do great things in and through your life. If you don't know God, I want to say to you today, there's one way that we come into relationship with God, and it's by saying yes to Jesus. His son, his sinless, spotless, perfect son, the one who came to this earth, lived a sinless life, took our place on a cross, dying a death that we deserve for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And then God raised him from the dead so that we could have freedom in eternity because he conquered death, hell, and the grave for us.
This morning, I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I just wanna invite you to pray it out in your own words. Just take this prayer, somehow make it your own, but pray right out loud a confession to God and ask him to come into your life. Father, right now in this moment, we look to you and we ask that you would be near. Father, we recognize that we're all sinners. We have fallen short of your perfection, but you gave Jesus for us. We believe Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins. We put our faith in him. We ask that Jesus would be our savior, but more than that, we choose today to make him the Lord of our life. We believe you raised Jesus from the dead so that we could have freedom in eternity. And today we want that for our lives, so we claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would be near to everybody who prays this prayer today and invites you in, that we would know your freedom, that we would know your salvation, and as a result, we would discover your purpose. Be near to my brothers and sisters today as they choose you, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be done here in just a few minutes, but this is really important for people that made decisions. We wanna honor all of you and respect you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we want to help you take your next step in your journey of faith. We have a simple book. It's a tool that will help you out. It's called The Next Seven Days, and there's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we're going to have prayer teams down here at the front of the platform. You can walk up to one of these prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus, and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can just to encourage you. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, stop by the info center. Our team will be there as well. They can give you that same book the next seven days just to help you get started in your walk with God. We're so glad you made that decision, and we want to encourage you. We want to help you, and we want to walk this out with you. So, hey, as a church family, can we put our hands together this morning and welcome people into God's family? And can we also give Pastor Zach a hand for that awesome message this morning? So good. This series has been awesome. So, so good. Oh, well, this is the time in our service when we worship God with our giving. And you'll see on the screens the different ways in which you can do that. If you wish to give in person today, there are envelopes on the chair backs and there are giving stations located on the side walls just before you exit the auditorium and another one out in the lobby just outside the Bridge Kids entrance, all right? But, you know, as we prepare to give, we just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You know, every person's individual giving is so important because together our collective giving truly is helping make a difference in people's lives across the globe through our different missions efforts as well as here at home. And we want to just remind you about an opportunity that we have to especially make a difference in people's lives here in our local community because in a few weeks, we are going to be distributing groceries to families in need that will provide everything they need for a Thanksgiving meal. And this is available for people all throughout the Temecula Valley And so we can be a part of that in a few ways. You can stop by the counter out in the foyer, and they can give you a shopping list. You can donate groceries or turkeys, or if you wish to give financially towards that, you can do that and just designate your offering towards outreach, and it will go towards that, all right? But the counter located between the glass doors just before you go outside today is set up with everything you need to find out about our Thanksgiving food drive, all right? So you can stop by there before you head out today. And remember, if you are planning to participate in that, 
next week and the following Sunday. Those two Sundays are the days to bring groceries or frozen turkeys. And all you're going to do is drop those bags of groceries right by your rear bumper when you come to church. And our trucks will be going through the parking lot during services, picking those up. And we just thank you so much for your generosity in helping us make a difference in people's lives right here in the Temecula Valley. Thank you for that. And hey, just a reminder, our prayer teams will be available down front at the conclusion of service and... We have water baptisms happening in just a few moments out in the lobby. So we invite you to gather with us out in the corner of the lobby and celebrate with those being water baptized today. All right. It's been awesome being in church with you today. So glad you've been here. Hope you have an amazing week and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday.